0: Come listen to What Chaos. We'll talk about your favorite team. We'll talk about your least favorite team and everybody in between. And we're having a ton of fun doing it every single day, Monday through Thursday. It's What Chaos, presented by All City Network.
1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
2: just go to cars.com. It's magical.
0: It's going to feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey!
3: Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening, morning, afternoon, whatever. Um, so, some things have happened since the last we spoke. Uh, did I ask last week, will the coach be the coach next time you we did. talk? Was you that sure something? Did. You sure And did. he's not. Uh, Big shock there. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) The timing of it is weird. We'll get into everything. Uh, But, of course, we got to lead it off, as we always do with the introductions. Start it off with the Athletic.com's own Charlie O'Connor.
0: Hey, everybody. How's it going? Uh, Real fun 24 hours. Anyway, um, one thing that I did find really funny yesterday um, throughout all of it and it was there was so much going on that it ended up kind of just being a side like, oh God, that really happened sort of thing. But within all of the madness of yesterday, you know, changing coaches, back to back, you know, just all the like news dumps and whatnot, the fact that Ian Le Perrier showed up on the Flyers bench just made me laugh. <laughs> that so was very much. good. It was it was just like, was like- and, and I'm not even saying that like, it was a bad idea because I get that they're under from a coaching standpoint and like, he's been on the coaching staff. So it makes sense that, you know, there's injecting a sense of normality there by putting him on the bench for the game. But it's just, it's funny because like, I swear to God, the Flyers will ultimately clean house entirely. Like... Comcast will sell the team in ten years or something, <laughs> and Ian Laperriere will still be coaching in some Ian capacity LePierre. in the Flyers organization.
3: <laughs> Lappy is the next Holmgren. He is going <laughs> oh, no. to out. He is going to outlast everybody. He's going to outlast it's, it's, everybody.
0: Like, at at yeah, this point, you just have to accept that like Ian Laperriere is always going to find a spot in the Flyers organization. You know, and it's going to be. It's not going to be like doing like you know like some type of community outreach or whatever, like a lot of the alums, like he's just going to always hang around. And it's honestly, at this point, it's, it's kind of amusing because like, he's a decent dude and like, clearly, I don't know. They're just sticking with him regardless. So it's just funny. It was just, it was just a funny reminder.
3: When you look at his track record, I mean the penalty kill, the phantoms—it makes sense you want to keep this guy around. Oh, for sure. Like everything, <laughs> everything he touches is gold. Uh, why, the, why the hell not? They're just
1: conditioning us for when he eventually becomes the head coach because the Flyers don't want to win, apparently. As we all. Well, he's done, just going to be the last
0: Twitter. person there.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's a cockroach. Can't. The die. team will move. <laughs> and, that, that seems and He mean. will be
3: the next Ed Snyder. Like he will bring another team <laughs> to Philadelphia.
2: I didn't mean huh, it no, yeah. bad way.
0: I am I am here for the Ian Le Perrier Redemption project.
3: Oh great.
2: Yay. <laughs> huh, the
0: fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle.
2: Oh, um, yeah. So I mean I guess complain about Chuck Fletcher in any way you choose, at least he does stuff, right? Like it was a long time we had a guy who didn't do any stuff, and now we have a guy that keeps doing stuff, and that's kind of fun. And by fun yeah, I mean, I mean I- chaotic.
3: And he did something in season, which is uh, unlike him. So that's a it's, lot of fun.
2: It's kind of nice. I think we talked about it a little bit when he first came in, that he, he made a bunch of moves that like kind of validated our beliefs in what was good and what was bad about the hockey team. And it was kind of nice that like everybody in the whole world was like, dear God, he's got to fire the coach. Like He has to go. And then Chuck was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm going to fire him. He's got to go. All right, cool. Thanks, Chuck.
1: I think anybody who would be sane – would fire the coach in that situation though because it's like the team has lost eight games in a row you're not really seeing any improvement from the coach and then he's in better touch with the locker room than any of us are most likely except for maybe charlie i don't know uh and pretty clearly last night they had some more jump in them than they did previous games so didn't seem like the message was that
2: fresh did you forget about the ron hextell era because there were several points at which he should have fired the coach. This is kid. true. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't happen, so, you know. Including, nice. like,
3: the day he himself got fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that voice you just heard was not Stephlicious D, Steph Driver. It was a guy who yesterday, honestly, really pissed me off. Because he said he's been listening to Broad Street Hockey Radio since he was in fucking middle school.
2: Ew. <laughs> I know. Aiden Smith
1: from Flyverbly. How you doing Don't today, Evan? To I'm doing pretty good. I just got done taking a Spanish final. Uh so that was pretty God neat. Damn it. Um but yeah, that that Flyers game last night, that certainly was something and kind of the thing that I wanted to talk about opening was do we think that Last night, I, I know that it's just one game, but do we think that it's some sort of tangible proof that the locker room really did kind of feel like a lane video and specifically maybe more so Michel Therrien's, uh messages as coaches were getting a little bit stale because I do think, well, they didn't play a great game last night. They, they gave up seven goals, right? That's never going to be a great game. But they did score five, and I thought that they looked a bit more engaged I guess than they had previously for some of these other games um there's still clear issues from a player standpoint and from a confidence standpoint but I do think that maybe just having somebody different behind the bench and a possibility of change in terms of who is coaching the team might have given them a little bit more juice so what are y'all's thoughts on that
0: in in short yes and I can that's not speculation that's that's what I've heard um I think I think the one thing that, and this this is on the record, this isn't even stuff I've heard from sources, this was a very telling answer that I didn't find a way to fit this in any of my columns over the last couple days, but it was a very telling answer from James Van Riemsdyk. This was after Sunday's games. This was after the Tampa game, before coaching moves were made. And JVR is, generally speaking, a very, um, you know, open player with the media like he, he gives thoughtful answers he's a good guy to ask to, to ask for availability especially in a situation like this because he's not going to just give cliches and so that's why we asked for him and I straight up asked him this was again before the coaching staff got well before Vino and Michelle Terrien got let go um, I straight up asked him do you get the sense in the locker room that you know because I, I noted the the point that Vino had made that you know if if things keep going bad, stuff happens. That's what he had said two days before. And I referenced that, and then I asked JVR, I was like, do you get the sense in the locker room that people are kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop? You know, that it's just like something's going to happen, and we're just kind of waiting for it. And his response was essentially like, that's a good question. I'm not sure. And let me put it this way. If, That's a pl- a yes. if a player doesn't say no to that question, yeah. that is a yes. And and if, I, if, and and if you're saying yes to that, then the coach absolutely has to get fired because everyone in the locker room is just waiting for the coach to get fired.
3: I really appreciate that, one, you asked that question, and two, JVR basically said yes to it. Uh, but it really, we were all waiting for the coach to get fired. When you're in, when you're in this situation, the coach gets fired. And, like, the coach said yeah. that. Um, the fact that we've been through this a couple of times before, that irks me. That they're just like, have some fucking pride. Like, go out and win for you. Like, go play well one time. Like, the idea that the message was lost and they came out yesterday and it was like, oh, fresh, you know, it's a fresh start. You know what? After, what, six weeks of averaging under two goals a game, they were up against a fifth string goalie and they put a couple in. Like that's it. That's all that happened yesterday. This isn't indicative of anything. This is the softest, most mentally weak team. Like I've, uh, they, they just let everything kill them. Everything bad that happens to
2: them is like, well,
3: I guess someone's gonna have to get fired to wake us up. Like they have no internal motivation.
2: This is not the same group of people, William. This is not the same group of people that has had this happen to them. Several times over, unless we're gonna the lead leadership the, the, group
3: is the same. It, it is. really oh isn't unless though. we're
2: gonna do? It's just we're Giroux. Do the Giroux and Couturier. Yeah. Claude Giroux. Yeah, the guys Claude wearing Giroux letters on their oh sweaters. Boy. Claude Giroux is the reason. Claude Giroux no, doesn't want to get I'm not, say he's win. Fired. <laughs> he win I'm
1: not
3: saying he's the reason. I'm not saying he's the reason.
2: He's but at a certain reason.
3: At a certain point, you do have to look at the guy who is called the captain of the team.
2: What is he supposed to do with a shitty hockey team placed around him and a coach instructing the shitty hockey team to do shitty things? He's not the coach. He's not the guy telling them what to do. He goes out there and works his ass off like last night and gives a big middle finger to everybody telling them that he sucks. But there's only so much that he can do. He can't design a power play. That's not his job. He's not allowed to do it. If the shitty power play coach is telling him to go stand on the wrong side and not do the thing that he's good at doing that leads to him scoring more power play goals than literally any player in the franchise history, it's a problem that he can't solve. It's an organizational failure. It's not a Claude Giroux failure. The,
3: the, The problem of internal motivation is a Claude Giroux issue. No. And, like, uh, oh, he no. needs no. to rally We're the gonna group. Fight. Bill, We're gonna fight hold now. on. So this is this, this is kind of one of
1: the things that I take the biggest issue with with this fan base is Claude Giroux and like Steve Iserman, two players who in terms of leadership style actually pretty similar which is they have that whole idea of they go out there, they work their asses off, they compete harder than anybody else, they prepare better than anybody else and then in Giroux's case, too, used to be a high-scoring player, and as he started to age, you've seen him work a lot more on his defense and try to be a more defensively sound player, and he's gotten a lot better in that regard, and he can play multiple roles for the team, right? He's not going to score, like, 90-something points a year anymore, but he's a very useful player, and he works harder than anybody else. What the fuck is he supposed to do? There's a certain Claude point. Giroux, the player... Yeah. I have zero issue with Claude There's Giroux but you can't do anymore as a leader. People just have to step up. You can scream right, and yell and like tell but everybody, but they never to do. There. But when they never do, whose fault? is Why is, is
2: that? that Claude Giroux's fault?
1: That's on the organization. What is he I'm not to
2: say say saying it's. I'm not saying respond.
0: it's all his fault, but there is a common denominator. No, you no, know, you know what the common denominator is? Oh, fuck's a lack of talent. No, no, I'm not even going They're that far. You know what the common denominator is? The common denominator through all of this, and this just comes down to to my belief that people just create narratives to make things, you know, make sense in their heads. The common denominator through all this is the fans. And I'm not saying that the fans are the reason, but what I'm saying is that we feel like it's all linked together because the fans are living through all this garbage. So you create narratives like, well, it's been X however many years and I've been frustrated with this team. So the only common denominator is Claude Drew, so it's got to be his fault. When in reality, there's a ton of different individual reasons that have led to the fact that there have been multiple coaches that have been let go. And, you know, it's it just, I don't know. For me, that explanation is so infuriatingly simplistic. Lazy. And lazy yeah. that it drives me up the wall. Because you know what's lazy? Waiting for the coach to get fired before you play hard.
2: You're saying that, like, Claude Giroux the entire time hasn't been playing good hockey.
0: He's, like, the only person who was scoring during this losing streak. The only streak. person. No, <laughs> I, 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 full, I said
3: Claude Giroux on the ice I have zero problem with. He's likely the best player I'm ever going to fucking see in orange and black because this organization's inept. But when this happens continually under his captaincy... He must leave something to be
0: desired as a leader. Like, I'm not saying one, he's one, the reason they're bad. One thing, I'm just saying he might not be the best captain. One thing that's that I've, pretty. One like, thing that I've learned in my life, and this has nothing to do with hockey, you can't change the way other people think. And the idea that Claude Drew can wave some magic wand and get the other players on the team have control over their emotions and have control over their mindset—like we've all watched too many goddamn sports movies. I think.
2: Yes. Agreed.
1: I, I like, yes.
0: are are we really
1: going to go look back at those Dave Haxtell teams and be like, well, the team got him fired because they didn't want to play hard. Like that team had Andrew McDonald and Yuri Latera and Val Philpula and like interchanging pieces of fucking Boyd Gordon and all of these other guys who just could not play. And. We're going to act like Claude Giroux should have just somehow turned around and been like, well, you know, you guys just need to work harder and be better. And then the team would have just magically figured out how to play hockey at a high NHL level. Like Andrew McDonald is not turning around just because Claude Giroux tells him to and being good. That's not how that works. The problem here that we're facing down actually is, is that the personalities of the players that the organization has drafted, and more specifically, the talent and the cohesion of the players that the organization has drafted, just aren't working. And that brings us more to a question of, do they have enough talent in that room to where if things go wrong, can they turn it around and can they figure things out? That's a different question than, is Claude Giroux a good leader? Because I think that's a stupid and very subjective question where... That can't really be answered by any of us. And every single player who's ever played with him gushes about him. And that includes the guys in retirement who have free reign to kind of see whatever they want. You don't see people taking digs or shots at him like you do some of the other captains that they've been under. Now, hockey is not a culture where people will go out and take shots at each other all the time. But I think if Claude Giroux was like the problem with the Flyers, you would see more digs at him. You no, know, you would hear
0: rumblings. Yeah. You like, would hear Even if people weren't stuff willing to go out. on the record, you would sure. hear like, you know, unnamed sources being like, Claude Drew isn't a good leader. And, and you don't hear that because it's it's not true, at least in terms of the way that players that play with him think about him. I just, I don't know. To me, this, I, I'm with you, Eamon. Like, this strikes me as just a very simplistic way to analyze a situation And there's a lot more interesting ways to break it down and to understand, you know, why this particular thing went wrong than trying to, you know, create some common thread without any actual evidence beyond I'm a fan and I'm angry because the last eight years have sucked.
3: The evidence is the results,
1: but but correlation and causation aren't the same thing. That's a very simple thing that you've got to go with there. You've gotta, you've got gotta stick to that rule. I know that it sucks,
3: but at a certain point, it is like at a certain <sighs> point, the things no. are linked. That's no. you've you've got the thing about like, G. I don't think G is a bad guy. I don't think he's doing a terrible job. I do think if people disliked him as a leader, you would hear more like you used to hear like Wayne Simmons would fight a reporter if someone would question like why aren't you the captain? Basically, and he he would you know he wouldn't appreciate that. I will say, like, um, his per- the team takes on the personality of the captain. And there's just a little bit too much lead by example. Like, I'll take care of my business. You all follow that. And he does a great job. Like, he's an excellent lead by example dude. But uh, I-, I think you don't hear anyone taking any sort of digs out of him because he is too likable. Like, you know who's a real dickhead? Chris Pronger. Oh, but no, we're doing Chris- this again. Oh boy. No, I mean not, an I'm asshole. Just, bring in Samarin. Let's go. I do think well, he's, I do he's think really this nice. Team, this team could use some assholes. I do think it could use that. Uh, but whatever the leadership style is, and it's not all on G, there's a group of leaders they brought in. Like they bring in, you know, all fucking Derek Brassard. Yeah, weren't we
0: talking about how like they brought in all these leaders? Like yeah. do you ever and think that, Do, you ever, do well. you ever think that maybe the, the concept of leadership is just a little bit overrated after all you that? You
2: think? No, you think it's awesome. I mean, here is the like. This isn't. It's a important, but
0: it's not like a fucking cure all. It does not. No, we, it we used fix to have
1: a team's process is the thing. Like you can be yeah. a great leader and tell players, "Hey, this is how you do things. This is how you work on the little details." But if the players themselves don't go out there and do it, then. What the fuck are you supposed to do? Like the team, the team for a long stretch here this season has been like under 40% in terms of expected goals and Corsi, which I know I'm going to get labeled as a nerd immediately on my first episode doing this show because I said that, but they're not driving play. They're not controlling chances. They're not doing the things that they are looking to do. They're not even doing the typical Alain Vigneault shit of like holding people up in the neutral zone, which Bill and I talked about the other day. Uh, And I think Charlie has mentioned a couple times too, like this is not a team that's playing the right way. And I think like Claude Giroux, we don't know whether or not he's not holding people accountable. I get the feeling he probably goes to people after games or in practice and says, hey, I noticed that you're, you know, having some trouble doing this. Or maybe he's not a guy who like just because he leads by example totally keeps himself from my understanding. Now, I'm not you know, in the locker room all the time or anything. But somehow I doubt that he's just completely silent through all this. I don't think that's what's going on. I just think at some point it comes down to leaders going to lead. You've got to actually follow the example they're setting. And that's on the players right. at some point.
0: I just think yeah. if, you're lo- if you're looking for an explanation as to why the Flyers have changed coaches so much during Claude Giroux's tenure, it's more that the team has been mediocre for most of his tenure on the team particularly his tenure as captain and in the nhl mediocre teams change coaches a lot because coaches have short shelf lives and if a team is mediocre there's only so long that any hockey team doesn't matter who the captain is there's only so long that any hockey team is going to keep listening to what a coach is preaching and Whatever philosophy he's saying is great and is going to work, if for multiple years that philosophy that you keep hearing is great and is going to work, stops working. That's just hockey. There's a reason why coaching shelf lives in the NHL are so short, and it's because, generally speaking, unless you have significant success as a coach, there is a shelf life for your message. And it doesn't matter if your captain then, is Claude like- doesn't matter if your captain is Claude Giroux, if your captain is Chris Pronger, if your captain is Jonathan Taves. Like coaches who don't win have shelf lives and the reason in my mind why the Flyers aren't winning is because the team hasn't been good enough for the vast majority of Claude Giroux's time as captain and this is just a by like the, the the continued coaching changes is just a byproduct of the fact the team hasn't been good enough it's just what happens when a team isn't good enough
3: and it's not I even, agree
1: it's not even strictly that like I I'm sorry Bill but really quick there have been six coaching changes while Alex Ovechkin has been the captain of the Washington Capitals. That's the same amount as the Flyers
0: under Claude Giroux he is the stinks. captain. And yeah, well, he was, but the thing is, he was a bad captain until he won a cup exactly. and now suddenly it's fine exactly so he's a bad leader
3: even though and, and like they were also successful a lot of, like yeah all right they didn't win cups but like but when they you're winning the playoffs, president's trophies choked. that's a little different than maybe getting in the wild but they court, right? See, I, like th- these are
2: another, different
0: situations
2: this is a thing that is that it? drives me a little fucking crazy yes, yes. thank you charlie no because no because, because
0: it's not depending it's on who's not. writing the narrative
2: It's not. And here's the thing that drives me fucking nuts about this fan base right now. Everyone is looking backwards to some golden era of Flyers hockey where they kept getting bounced in the second round or the conference finals in a good year. Like, what the fuck are we looking back to? Like, is it really that much different in the grand scheme of things? Yes. If the team gets kicked in the first or the second? Not really, Bill, because it's just we have a little bit more fun. Sure, we feel a little bit better about how the season went, but functionally, there's no difference. They still lost.
3: The difference is, like, a good team, there's a lot of luck involved. If you get to a conference final, if you get to some cup finals, if you are continuously good, you get several cracks at it, and maybe you get to win one. If you barely get into the playoffs, you will never win the cup.
2: I'm not saying that there's... There's not room for improvement with the current iteration of the Philadelphia Flyers. But I think pretending that somehow this particular era is so deficient when compared to everything that's not 1974, 1975
0: is just silly. Okay. Can we... Sorry, Sorry, Kelly. Yes, we? Can we... I mean, move on from the <laughs> yeah, extremely yeah, yeah. tiresome is Claude, you're a bad captain conversation and actually please? break down what fucking no. happened. No, and that's <laughs> I
3: wanted. We spent <laughs> this we spent entirely <laughs> get rid of We spent now. entirely too much time on that, and because I'm not trying to say he's bad at anything. I am trying to say the guy who makes the most money is not blameless. That's all. That's all. He's not blameless. He is. He is. A I mean, sure. Human and, ra- being. And, and right and right now, is not if,
0: God, if if the if the, if, if the rebuild would have went the way they wanted it to go, he wouldn't be the best player on the team anymore. No. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. he's, he is, especially because Sean Gautier, who I don't think is playing as bad as some people say, but he's not playing as well as Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux has been the best player on this team this year. Yes, yeah. Maybe you can make a case for Carter Hart, although last couple of games he's regressed a bit. But he's the only one who I think you can make a case has been better than Claude Giroux. And that shouldn't be the case when Claude Giroux is, what, 33 going on 34? Like There'll that be wasn't the plan. 34 in January? Yeah, I think he's 34 yeah. in January. That wasn't the plan.
2: No, he should not be the best player on the team. So uh they did score
3: five goals last night. And I got to say, if they're going to lose like every single game, I prefer it look like that. You um, literally
2: predicted that
3: which, in a tweet. Well, <laughs> my prediction prediction was fuck defense let's win 7-5 but (laughs) losing 7-5 is a lot better than losing 7-1 I will say that Uh, I got to see I got to see my boy Kale McCarr go end to end like Bobby Orr uh Oscar Lindblom was rocking his jersey last night. And look at that. A pass from behind the net results in a goal. Yes. I can't fucking believe it. I it's crazy that what happens night. when you get close to the net. It's wild. There
2: was, there, I, I didn't know. Sometimes I don't trust my own brain quite a lot when it comes to watching hockey games. There was a, a marked difference in the amount of stuff coming from behind the goal last night, right? Like, I'm not crazy. Yeah.
3: They just, like, there was a marked difference in how much they tried to get near the net. Instead of shooting from a hundred feet away.
2: Like, I feel like on at least one of the power plays, Konechny was behind the net again, which is the thing that I've been obsessed with forever.
3: He was up and down the uh, the right wing yeah. boards. Like he was up on the point, he was dropping down. It was like they moved the puck quickly. They uh, moved their feet. It was like watching a different team. Now yeah, it results the, the same. Was remarkable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when that's the huge difference. They tried moving their feet and they scored. Like yeah, they weren't as stationary last night, and it resulted in their best offensive output in fucking eight weeks. Uh, but anyway, let's move on to the uh, the firing of Elaine Vigneault. Uh, they lost 8 in a row um now it's 9 after last night's game they're 07 and 2 that's one of the things about like turning this season around remember the 10 game losing streak a few years ago when really they were like 05 and 5 so it really wasn't that bad like they were getting some points now this is every night like they're losing in regulation so it, i don't know if they can bounce back from this one but what i want to talk about now first is uh, the timing of the Elaine Vigneault firing. Because after the Tampa game, I was like, I, man, this is the game that gets a coach fired. But, like, there's a game tomorrow. They just came off a three-day break in which they could have fired the coach. And it would have made more sense. Like, you lose 7-1 at home. Coach, you know, eight-game losing streak. Coach is going to get fired. But let's say the Lightning don't embarrass them. They just lose 3-1 like they've been losing most nights. Is AV the coach last night if that happens?
0: Yes. Yes, I I, so I, th- that's my understanding. So <laughs> basically where what I had heard, I started hearing. So we, we had the, the availability with Fletcher last week. I believe that was Tuesday, I think. I think it was Tuesday Sounds when we talked right. with, when we talked with Fletcher. And that's when Fletcher basically did the like, I don't want to make changes until I see what this team is, until I see what we have. And the implication was that I want to wait till we get guys back from injury. I think he knew that Kevin Hayes was going to come back. Um, so he knew he had that in his back pocket. I think they had gotten decent news on Ryan Ellis. You know, Wade Allison is is back down in the HL. So I think they were that that was sort of what he was hoping for, and he basically admitted that. This on Monday, you know, after the firing, where he was essentially like, Look, I was just trying to buy some time with, with, with that press conference. Um, I started hearing, I think it was like Thursday, that they were discussing candidates. I don't, I, I can't confirm one way or the other if they'd actually talked to candidates. Um, Pierre Lebrun claims that they haven't. That was his report. If I had to guess, I don't think there were any formal conversations, but I would not be shocked if there were some like intermediaries. You know, it's like, hey, like, you know, give Rick, a, give Rick a call and see if he'd be interested. If you know, maybe this opened up in the next couple of weeks, like that kind of stuff. So, and Rick that, looks at the roster and goes, "Nah, I'm good." I don't know. I don't know where else Rick is going to get a job. So uh, let me put it that way. TNT. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody like Bruce Boudreaux would be like, "Yeah, I'd rather have <laughs> Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson than than you know what the Flyers have." But. I'm not sure Rick Todd is getting bombarded with coaching offers at this point. I'd rather and,
3: work in TV and be left alone by fan bases personally. I mean, I mean
0: fair. Um, anyway, so that's when I started hearing rumblings that like, okay, there's something moving here, but it didn't strike me as like we're doing this immediately. It struck me as okay, the ball the balls rolling. You know, the wheels are in motion. This is going to happen. It's just a matter of when, like if is now off the table, it's a matter of when, but I think their preference would have been to get through this ridiculous five and seven stretch because they know, and Yo admitted this in his, his presser on Monday, uh, Monday afternoon that like, there's nothing he can do with X's and O's really until this week is over. Because they're not practicing. They're playing basically every day. It's a ridiculous stretch regardless. So I think there was a, an understanding with within the, the front office that, like, if we switch coaches, it's not like the new coach will be able to do anything anyway until we get some practice yeah. time. So let's try to limp our way through this. If we can survive the Colorado and Tampa game without the whole thing falling apart, the schedule does get a bit easier. You know, yeah, they lost the Devils, but, like, the Devils aren't that great. You know. They play Vegas, but Vegas hasn't been as good as people thought. And then they play Arizona, who the Flyers were even able to beat right oh, before God. this whole thing fell apart. So, like, and after that, I believe, yeah, like, there's there's easier games that they can play. Montreal, who's a disaster. So it was kind of like, if we can get through these two, maybe we can sort of limp our way through the next couple weeks. We can try to find a candidate, you know, that we like that wants to that wants to be a Flyers head coach, and then. You know, at some point we move on from Elaine Vino because clearly it's not working. That's what I think they wanted to do. But when you go out and you lose seven to one, and it's abundantly clear that the team is just done with the coach, like you kind of have to because if you're Chuck Fletcher, I mean, if this just keeps if if they're losing eight to one every night, I mean, he might get fired. So he knows that. So it's like, all right, well, I guess I got to do something and. What something was, was firing Terry and, and Vino and then throwing Mike Yo in there for now, for however long that's going to last, you know, and maybe he'll get a long look. Maybe he won't. I, as, as Fletcher said in the press conference, no promises have been made to Mike Yo, but I think at the very least he'll get through the end of this week, I think, unless like, <laughs> you know, somebody big calls up the Flyers and is like, hey, I want to coach this team. So he'll get a few games, and hey, if they start winning, maybe he gets more. Who knows?
3: What um Eamon and I did this a little yesterday with Steve, but man, like the Elaine Vigno timeline here, what the fuck went wrong? Like, it, there's a very you know, his first season, we're we're looking at it, and it's it's visually better than the the hackstall slash Gordon air. No, it was actually uh, it was better,
1: better results-wise. No, it, it, it was and process-wise. Like, too.
3: I'm just those first those first let's call it two months, uh, it's, it's clearly better, October, November, you know, maybe the results aren't what we want them to be, but they're still fine, uh, then December happens, um, they get the Limblom news, shit falls apart, The Disney on ice trips, an abject disaster, and then we hit January, and January to March is the best hockey we've seen in this town in a long, long time, COVID shuts the world down, okay, from then on, I guess if you want to say the, uh, you know those those three games before the actual playoff the seeding games you know they win all three of those that's fun but from the bubble on it just gets worse and really never recovers like how did how did we go from demanding basically uh AV is, win the Jack Adams to AV has to go this is awful like inside of 2 years So,
2: to be fair, Rangers fans, (laughs) Rangers fans who we don't want to listen to because they're Rangers fans, did kind of tell us that this is how it goes that Elaine Vigneault's first year is good. And unless he's getting Hall of Fame goaltending, which he did before, it tends to decline quickly because he falls back into old habits, which I think here manifested themselves in things like, heavily relying on the fourth line in important minutes, um, you know, shuffling up the lines in ways that didn't make any sense, leaning more on the safe veterans than on younger players that are a little bit more of a risk. Like, that's what they told us was going to happen, and that's pretty much what happened. And I think the reason that it happened so quickly here, and it took a little bit longer in New York and Vancouver, is Roberto Luongo and Henry Lunquist. Like, Those are the reasons why A.V. had a longer leash there than he did here.
1: I don't know, um, but I'd like to kind of pitch what I talked about yesterday to y'all to see what you think of this. I think it started basically when they played the Islanders in the bubble in the playoff. Um, Specifically, I think Barry Trotz uh, sort of mirrored a process I've seen with a lot of coaches who then go on to get fired soon after, which is that he outcoached Elaine Vigneault badly um and sort of exposed the weaknesses of the system with the players that he had specifically if you play the flyers with an extremely hard forecheck their defensemen are not going to be capable of making quick decisions under pressure if you're physical with them and you're going to take the puck off of them that's how you get more offensive zone time that's how the islanders dominated that series and i think the first year under av teams sort of just didn't really know what to do with the flyers for stretches because they hadn't seen this out of them this was a new mix of players they didn't really know a good way to counter them and then in the years subsequent you start to see if you go back and you watch teams are a lot more aggressive on the forecheck and they have less problems taking chances in terms of jumping on the forecheck earlier and going harder after pucks because they know okay with a normal team this is like 50 50 battle maybe even less than that if you're playing a team that's really good at countering that but with the flyers you've gotten above 50 percent chance to win that battle in the boards when you go in and you're hard on the puck from there elaine vigneault in order to attempt to address that seem to try to get the team to play more conservatively on defense i guess maybe the thinking behind that is if you're in the zone earlier and you have more time to get set up maybe this won't be as big of a problem uh or at the very least if somebody does win that battle then you're going to be a little bit more comfortable getting set in your position covering your man making sure that you're marking your man and keeping uh nice positioning I don't know whether or not that's a totally accurate summation of what happened here, but I think schematically, those are sort of the adjustments that we saw made that didn't work and ended up backfiring, and that, along with Michel Therrien just being incapable of designing a power play, um, that functioned. And I think, too, at some point, you do have to start questioning, do the Flyers have the horses to make the power play really go consistently, because Claude Giroux is not, again, 90-something, 100-something point-closure room anymore. They don't have Jake Voracek anymore. Now, they have Cam Atkinson who can shoot a little bit, but I just don't know that they have the players to be an elite power play like they were uh, pre noblock and pre-Hackstall. Um, but I think that's sort of my thought on when this started falling apart. And then from a locker room standpoint, I think the clear point uh, where... The message maybe got stale or the players really gotten sensed with it uh, was when Alain Vigneault threw Carter Hart under the bus. I think that's a clear turning point because everything that we've seen and heard out of the media from that is the players were not happy um, with those comments and Carter Hart is their guy. They wanted to protect him. They were not pleased. Now, I don't know that you can cite that specifically as, oh, like that was the only reason that this happened, or the main reason. I'm sure there were like personal issues with the coaches. This is the ass crew after all. But uh, I, I do think that from an outsider's standpoint, that's where when I observed this team, I think things kind of fell apart there.
0: So I think there's some truth there, definitely. Um, I, I think you might be giving the coaching staff. Not too much credit, because that's not the right word. But like, I don't too know much if they credit, have the, And too I don't, much blame? I, no, but like, I don't know if they have the control that you are implying they have. Like, I I do agree that the Islanders series exposed an inability of the team, at least in that series, to to break out well. Um, but I don't know. Like, the problem, the reason why that problem persisted into the following season. I don't think really was a coaching thing. I think that was more a personnel thing. I mean, they lost Niskanen, who was good at that. He wasn't very good at that in that series, but he was a good breakout defenseman. So they lost him. Phil Myers just was a shell of himself that whole year. So like, and and then Provorov was worse because he didn't have Niskanen. So really, you know, that to me was less a, you know, the coaching staff didn't adjust, and it was more that the coaching staff couldn't adjust because they really didn't have the horses back there, especially when Phil Myers regressed dramatically and Provorov regressed dramatically because he's a number two and not a number one and can't carry a pairing. So when you lost Niskanen, then his play dropped off, and then the whole house of cards just tumbled. Now, I would say that I think I think it was it was last season. Like I think this is all residual in terms of why things. Fell apart the way they did during this losing streak, like I think this is all residual from last season, and it's it's a gamble that that Chuck Fletcher made, and it didn't work out for him and the gamble was was that he i you know he looked at what happened last season and he said, I'm not going to make state coaching coaching staff changes. I'm going to make the evaluation that this is a player personnel issue, and I need to change the mix in the locker room to make it so we're better at dealing with adversity and I'm going to change the mix of the lineup so that we're better capable of doing the things that Elaine Vigneault wants the team to do. And in, in a way, I don't think he was wrong because I do think there was a problem with the mix in the locker room and I do think that this roster, at least the one that was, was created for last season, could not do what Elaine Vigneault wanted them to do. The problem with that was that I think there was just too much damage in terms of the team losing faith in the coaches. There was too much damage done during last season that even if the coaches were right... It didn't matter because, like, you can't restore that faith once it's gone. And I think that Fletcher banked on the coaches being able to restore that faith. And he was hoping that, you know, well, you have Ryan Ellis, you have a roster that can do everything Vigneault wants them to do. If they start out strong, then boom, the faith's going to come back. Because it's going to be like, yep, we're that same team from 2019-2020. See, actually, these coaches' ideas do work. Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen for multiple reasons. Some of it was just bad luck. Some of it was injuries. Some of it was that I just think that like they underrated the loss of faith in the coaching staff that resulted from last season. I think there was just residual damage that it was not going to be fixed just by a summer, and I think there was carryover this year. I think that was a big reason why when shit went bad during this losing streak, and I I reported this in my piece, guys were just like, this system is, is just not good. I mean, there was there was legitimate frustration with the the emphasis on dump-ins. There was legitimate frustration with what they were doing in the defensive zone. Um, you know, the, the fact that it was resulting in a lot of backdoor plays. Guys were being left open um, because of the coverage schemes they were using. I mean, there was real frustration. And once a, a, a significant portion of players in a locker room stops believing in a system, it's over. I don't care how good of a coach you are, even if your system does work— it's over because it doesn't matter if no one believes in it. There and, I were, think, and I think that's what happened in this case.
3: There were extreme vibes of uh, the Ottawa Senators in the Uber talking shit on their
0: own penalty oh, kill. God like
3: extreme vibes oh, of I that. Mean, Oh I think that I <laughs> mean,
0: not maybe not for Vino, but I, I got the sense that was where they were at with Michelle Terry. Shocker. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> like even like Michelle, Therrien, like Michelle Tarrien could have designed something fucking genius. At a certain point, not that he did, but like if
0: he did, they'd all just be
3: like, Yeah, that ain't gonna work either, you fucking yeah.
0: idiot. Yeah. Like <laughs> No, there's there's a tipping point where yeah. you it's just there's no coming back from it. And I think Fletcher thought they weren't at that tipping point, and it turned out they were.
3: I mean, wouldn't you go three
0: for fifty four? <laughs> well, I'm not I, I guess think? I'm talking I'm talking about before then. Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you think that McK- if do you think that Avino had not like decided that French Mike couldn't be spared? Like, do you think that if he had fired him and brought in someone else for the power play that he might have kept his job?
0: Um, no. Well, it it depends because, I mean, there was definitely talk in the offseason about... Maybe this summer. ...about changing assistants. And I don't know what would have happened if they would have canned Terry in and brought in somebody to run the power play. Like, I, I... I know we're talking a lot about Tocket as a head coaching option. I believe he coached the power play in Pittsburgh. And I would not be shocked if that was brought up. If it was mm-hmm. like, well, we can Terry and we bring Tockett in as an assistant to coach the power play. Would not be shocked mm. if that was considered. But Vino made it clear this was his coaching staff and he wanted it. Now, if Vino would have caved, who knows? I, 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 I mean, don't know. I don't know if it was already past that point and it wouldn't have mattered. But clearly what he did do didn't work. So, And in that, in that
3: specific example of bringing in Rick Tocket, the head coach... Is not going to be like, oh yes, hire my replacement. Yes, yeah, yes, that, that let, is fair. <laughs> us, that is completely. Let's fair. do that. Let's have yeah. him sitting there waiting for me it's to a really fuck good up. Point. Like that's just not going to happen. All right, we got to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about Mike Yo and a couple other things on the other side before we wrap up. I realize we're at like fifty minutes or something, but we got to we got to get a break in here. So let's do that, and we'll be back on the other side.
2: This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito Lay.
0: Just go to frito No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void wherever prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com.
3: All right, fam. We are back, and I want to talk about Mike Yo uh, because he has been Heyo. spared. Yeah. He has. Uh, he was spared the, uh, in this uh, massacre of the coaches. Uh, Vigneault gone. French Mike gone. Uh, I don't regular, even know if I would Mike. call it
0: a massacre. I, I think I call it like a tactical strike.
3: <laughs> I, that feels right. I would call it a uh, like uh, like. I Elaine Vigneault looked like a guy who wanted to be fired. Like he knew it was coming,
0: and I think he's happy about it. Quite I, honestly, I, you know that is that's something I want to talk about because this is something that I haven't been able to get confirmed by anyone. But I just wonder. Like I got the sense that after last season he was just exhausted like he looks the, exhausted like, the, the pandemic and the challenges of the pandemic on hockey I think really wore at him and I'm not sure if he's like I legitimately wonder if his heart is even still in this you know, if, if you know, he's, he talked so many times at, in his postseason press conference at the end of last season about how and it, was, it was less like a, a statement and more of a plea that, like, I just want next season to be normal. I just want it to be normal. And, like, big mood because shit. I mean, I would love it if it was normal again. And I certainly was very much there in May. But you just got the sense that, like, he was just not quite done because he obviously wants to win a Stanley Cup. He hasn't won a Stanley Cup. It's something that's got to eat at you when you, you're a top 10 coach in terms of wins. you never won a cup. But you just wonder if he was just kind of like just just drained. You and got we'll the it. sense that he was just drained. The martini you know meter ran low.
2: <laughs> you know what, though? Like These guys are so up their own asses. Like, hey, Elaine, if you want to win so badly, why don't you fucking try something different one time? Like yeah, like stop thinking maybe, that you know all the answers already, and your system is the thing that's gonna win. And if it doesn't work, then oh darn, I guess it's the player's fault. Like fucking do something different, dude.
3: Like when your power play is operating in the single digits, maybe your buddy ain't getting the job done. Yeah, very like, fair, <laughs> very like, fair. But I like I will say I think we've seen it across professions. Like my mother uh, was an elementary school teacher. Um, she always said when I when I don't want to get up and go to work in the morning, that's when I'll retire. And she loved it, always had a good time, and then all this pandemic shit, and she was just like, I'm done. This sucks. Like, I can see that. I can see it with a coach who's been at it a long time, like Vigneault, where it's like, I do this, I enjoyed it the way it was, and now it's just so much different. It's not what
0: I like doing. Yeah, like, I I can see that. Yeah, like, so one one thing that raised my eyebrows about that as well, and this is something I came across in my reporting, so, I think one of the one of the takeaways from last season, coming out of it, and Fletcher mentioned this, I believe Vino mentioned this as well, was that you know one of the things the coaching staff needed to do a better job of was communicating with the players. And and Eamon, this goes back to what you were saying with with Carter Hart, which like that's real. I mean that that pissed that pissed players off. That absolutely did. But it went beyond that. I mean, there was just like you know, by the end of the season the coaching staff and the players were, were not getting along. Like there was real tension there. And I think there was a feeling of like, okay, well, the players need to be better. The players need to, you know, play with play with more, you know, consistent effort. They can't give up on things. And we're gonna bring in players that hopefully can can impact that. And we just also need better players. But the coaching staff needs to do a better job of communicating. That they, they absolutely have to do a better job of communication with the players and fostering positive relationships. Well, I've been hearing, especially when the knives were coming out near the end, that like, Vino hasn't been doing much communicating this year. It's been a lot of delegating. Like, he doesn't really, he de- didn't, I'll use it past tense, he didn't really talk to the players all that much this season. Mm. And when, when one of your takeaways... From last season is you need to do a better job of communicating because what you did last year didn't work. And then you go into this season and you continue to not really try to do much communicating. It tells you that you're maybe just kind of like not throwing in the towel, but sort of like, well, I just don't know if I can do what they want me to do. So I'm just going to kind of like check out a little bit Mm. and focus on what I know I'm good at, which is, you know, designing systems and things like that. Like it just didn't work either. Well, yeah, Yeah. but like that, but that the thing is, they're part and parcel. Like they go hand in hand. You can design the best systems in the world, but if you can't get players to do it, then it doesn't friggin' matter. And it just that thing raised my eyebrows a bit because my assumption. In the early season, was that Vino was doing a better job of that because he was very clearly not ripping players nearly as much in the media. Like that was a clear change. He was very positive. With Carter, he didn't Hart. know who
3: was on his team to
0: rip. There, he there were any of them. there were games there were games where like the Flyers didn't play that well, and he would go up there and basically try to polish a turd and say that no, we I think we actually played really well. And I was like the Vino from last year never would have done that. The video from last year, if the Flyers were sitting with you know 45% expected goals percentage through seven games, would not have been saying, actually, we're playing fine. He would have been ripping the team because it's exactly what he did last year when the same thing happened. Mm-hmm. So like, that struck me as a major change, and I think that was more the change he made. Like, communication through the media, not communication to the players. And it just, I don't know, it raised eyebrows for me that maybe his heart just really wasn't in it anymore. Like we talk about Mike Yo, let's let's bring this back to Mike Yo. The main reason why Mike Yo is still here, aside from the fact that obviously there's an element of trust there with Chuck Fletcher, is that the players really like Mike Yo, and his unit they was good. Really, that helps too. They really, really yeah, well half that decent. does help. But I mean, it was bad. <laughs> it was bad last yeah, year. Yeah, but it's half like, decent. That's it's true. half decent. It's it it's half decent. But they really like him. He connects well with the players. You know, my understanding when I was talking to sources last week was that the players wanted Yo to stay. I wasn't sure if he was going to stay, but the players wanted Mike Yo to stay. They were out on Vino. They were out on Terry and they wanted Yo to stay. And I think that's why he stayed because Fletcher's like, well, you know, we have to get an interim might as well keep the guy who the players like and maybe try to turn it around, at least from an attitude standpoint.
3: And in the interest of, in the interest of, I ripped the players at the beginning of the show for like kind of checking out on AV. I think you're making some good points here av wasn't exactly all in with them either like there's an element of yeah. this is a mutual parting of the ways not with yeah. the organization like he's fired but like oh good they fired me you know i wasn't really trying all that hard anymore. Anyway. i don't think it w- it went quite that far but no, i um, no, think- but you, you you, know what i'm hyper yes no I, yeah. I i get exactly what you're saying but let's bring it back to mike yo because that's what i want to focus on here um We're talking about the idea of him the rest of the way, him the rest of the week. Who's to say? We know he has ties with Chuck Fletcher, as Charlie just said. The players want him to stay. If the idea, and I have no idea what fucking direction this organization is going to take, maybe we can tackle that, but if the idea is that this experiment has failed, it's time to tear it down and start over. And if Chuck is going to be the guy entrusted with doing that, which, okay, We'll see. Um, I think he's going to be, at least at yeah, the it end, seems end of the season. Like at least through he the end seems, of the season. When we talk about like how we perceive people, like that press conference last week, I perceived, and we talked about this, I perceived Chuck Fletcher as a guy who has the keys to the car. Like, hockey's on him. That's, that seems, that's my interpretation of what I saw uh, from everything over the last eight, nine days. But I don't hate the idea then if it's going to be Chuck Fletcher of sticking with Yo at least for this season because there is that trust between Fletcher and Yo so that they can communicate and it's a lot of remember Charlie when uh the Phillies brought in Charlie Manuel just to be the hitting coach and it was yeah he's here to teach them how to hit a little better But really, he has ties with management, and he's going to tell management what's actually going on in the locker room. I I think there's a little bit of that, like, all right, we're going to have to tear this thing down. Who deserves to say? Carter Hart, Joel Faraby, and who else? Because (laughs) after that, we have no idea. There's a lot of pending free agents. There's a lot of guys underperforming. There's a lot of tension around the coaches and players in this locker room. Let's actually figure this thing out and see if we can change this culture. How do you guys feel about Yo the rest of the way in that scenario? Who else do you like as the coach? Just, so what what do you think about this situation?
2: I I do think that the idea that Mike Yo staying on as the coach is like inherently negative is, is I I feel like that there are two scenarios in which Mike Yo will finish out this season as head coach. And that is one, like Bill said, organizationally, they've decided, all right, that's it. We're blowing it up. We're just going to stick with this guy because we know what we've got. or he starts getting results from the team. Both of those things are positive in different ways. If Mike Yo turns out to be the guy that can get this Jesus team Christ. to perform, then no, know, that's okay. I mean, like, listen, we—no, I know, can I know. shit it's on Mike but he's he's, hes hes fine. He's not been a terrible. He's, he's had a coach. Some success, yeah. He's All not, coaches are bad.
3: It doesn't matter.
2: There's like two of them that are actually good. He's not one of those guys, but he's probably and Barry not Trump's- awful. Barry Trotz is one of them, and they're the only team worse than the Flyers. Yeah, exactly, which is hilarious. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like if Mike Yo might be the guy for the rest of the season, and if he is, like, that's all right. There are are reasons why that might be a good thing if we end up there. Otherwise, I I think that they don't know yet who they want. And if Yo isn't delivering results and they have decided that they want to keep this team together and try to do something with it, then they're probably going to start talking to guys. Outside of the organization. Probably Rick Tockett, because that's the kind of hellscape that we live in. But, I I mean, I don't know. I've just seen a lot of people kind of, like, postulating that, oh, no, Mike Yo is going to be the coach. Like, if he is, there's probably a good reason for it.
3: St. Louis fans probably said that about Barubi. I was convinced he was a fucking cement head, and here he, we are.
2: He was here. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes some some coaches do learn lessons. Maybe Mike. He, he didn't think Sean
0: Couturier lessons. was good.
2: Like, you
0: know? <laughs> so here's here's my thing. Because I mean, well, Bill, you frame this kind of as like a Mike Yo thing, but really the 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 overarching framework here is. When should the Flyers choose to rebuild? Like that—that's really what we're talking about. Yeah, and we got to do it at some point. And, and and in my in my opinion here, like, look, I'm not saying that we're going to get to we're not going to get to that point, but I do think that. And this just, you know, this is just the nature number one of of talking about a hockey team. It's also the nature of online media that it's you know, okay, one thing happened, let's immediately jump to the next thing. Like that decision can't be made now it just can't like we're we're basically jumping the line by three months like it goes back to the conversation of like well should should they trade Claude Drew like maybe but if they're going to it ain't gonna happen until the trade deadline because you don't sell guys until then so really where we're at right now we are not at a point where it even makes sense for the flyers to make a final concrete decision on whether they are going to rebuild or not. Because even if like, even if they had decided right now, yes, this is broken, we are not talented enough, we are going to blow it all up, you are not going to blow it all up in mid-December. The only people who think that is possible are people on Twitter who just want to scream and yell, blow it up, without actually, <laughs> without actually knowing how a team gets blown up. And how a team gets blown up is you do it at the trade deadline, when everyone is trying to buy and prices are going up because everyone is bidding, or in the off season when, again, everyone is trying to buy and the prices go up because everyone's in the bidding. Right, I, now, where, right now where the Flyers stand is they just fired their coach. They just fired their coach because what they want to see is if a coaching change can spark this and make this team play the way that the front office felt like this team could play when we started this season. If they do, whether it's under Mike Yo or whether it's under someone they bring in from the outside, then great. Then we evaluate where the Flyers stand from there. And maybe you could still make a case, even if they bounce back and make their way into the playoffs, you could still hold, rationally hold the, the, the point of view that they should still rebuild because they're still not good enough and they're still a mediocre team. But that's a conversation that we have after gaining the knowledge that comes from watching this team over the next three months. You have to have that knowledge, though, because there's no benefit to blowing it up now because you can't do it anyway. So you might as well wait and see if they turn around. And if they don't turn it around under Yo or whoever coach comes in, then you know you probably do. Because then you know you're not good enough. Then you know that it doesn't even really matter what you want to do with Claude Giroux. Claude Giroux probably looks at this situation and says, "I don't want to be here anymore because this team's gonna. This team isn't good, and then he's not gonna want to resign. So then you're then yeah, then obviously trade him. Like that's the thing about the Claude Giroux discussion that kind of it doesn't infuriate me, but it's just kind of annoying. Where it's like this isn't a decision that is going to be made by the Flyers." This is a decision that's going to be made by Claude Giroux. If well, Claude yep. Giroux wants to stay, he will stay. If Claude Giroux wants to leave, the Flyers will accommodate him because if Claude Giroux wants to stay, I don't think there's a scenario where Claude Giroux says, I want to stay and the Flyers say, sorry, we're getting rid of No. Nope. I, I think the Flyers are in a position with Claude Giroux where they believe Claude Giroux has, to, has the right to decide how his Flyers career ends. And if the Flyers are as bad as a lot of people think they are, and if they're going to stay bad, then I, I would be surprised if Claude Giroux wants to stay, and I would not blame him in the slightest. But, like, this to me is more of a Claude Giroux decision than a Flyers decision. The decision is going to be made for the Flyers based on how they play the rest of the season.
3: The major decision of Giroux you cannot do for, like, there's going to be plenty of time to talk about G. We don't need to do it right here. Um, I do believe at this... It's tough because of the organizational injuries and all the players that are in and out, like, it's kinda tough to make uh to make smaller moves. But I do believe you can look at this team and go regardless of how they finish out the season, regardless of what you think like they're not cup contenders and there's very little path for them to get there. Yeah,
1: that's kind but, of what I wanted to talk about a little bit. But yeah, Bill, you keep like, going, sorry.
3: You can You can make smaller decisions like, let's try to move on from Keith Yandel because Cam York can't be as bad as this guy. There's got to be some fucking team out there that thinks Keith Yandel can still play because that's how hockey works. We thought he could still play. Uh, Like, let's move on from these pending free agent veterans who aren't contributing anyway. I don't care if it's a conditional seventh. Get something... And let's kind of move in the direction of, let's see what our internal options can do. Uh, And I hate being in that position. I loved the idea of a Braun Yandel third pair. Just a couple of veterans you can put out there for 16 minutes, and hopefully a disaster won't happen. But guess what? Disasters seem to happen when Keith Yandel's on the ice. He stinks. So, like, let's make these tiny micro decisions and see if we can move the team forward in either direction. And then we can get to the Claude Giroux decisions and the JVR decisions when the time is appropriate. I realize it's difficult right now because there's so many guys injured, mm-hmm. like there's just organizational upheaval. But in the near future, you can start that process without actually blowing the entire thing up. If Derek Brassard gets traded, like the walls don't come crumbling down. I just so
1: this kind of brings me to sort of a discussion that i'd like to have here which is first off i think it's it's maybe too early to say this concretely just because we haven't seen the results over a long period of time with a healthy roster and a new coach sure but it's very difficult for me to look at the ron hextall tenure now retrospectively and say that that rebuild was an objective success because now when i evaluate these players outside of that stretch in january into march right where they were just clearly an outlier awesome like awesome yeah um all we've seen is a bunch of guys who have had seasons where they've been really good rarely coinciding with one another and then regression thereafter pretty much across the board some of that can be associated with coaching but some of that too is just you wonder were those single seasons where they looked really good just outliers because the sample was pretty small at that point. Now we're getting a larger sample, and it looks more and more like I don't know that, you know, obviously with Travis Connectney, 70 something points is not representative of what he's going to be as a player. I think we can kind of just agree on that at this point. But like sure. this, this roster, looking at the key drafted players now who are left, it's, I think the evaluation I've come to personally, and I don't know that y'all share this, but, uh, a lot of these guys are just complimentary players. Um, And I think that's the real takeaway from that Hextall tenure is like Travis Sanheim, for example. And I don't mean to pick on him because I think he is a good player, but he has glaring flaws as a player and he needs to be paired with a certain kind of player in order to be at his most successful. He can still propel a pair offensively, drive play control chances when he is playing his best. We have seen sometimes he dips out of that but for the most part that is the guy he has been that's a helpful and useful player however the flyers don't have a guy to pair him with and that's that's not really a indictment of travis sandheim i still think he's a good and useful player but he is not the type of player where he drives a second pair and i've been a little bit spoiled in my time uh as a hockey fan watching the nashville predators so my perspective is a little bit different because i i've watched teams with four number one defensemen on them which is ridiculous and i'm not expecting that out of the flyers but when you watch a second pair defender you should have at least one guy on that pair where if you take a partner off and it doesn't need to be a specific type of partner paired with them they're still capable of playing to their maximum effectiveness. Now, that's not to say, like, if you pair them with Andrew McDonald, they should be lighting the world on fire. But if you put them just with a capable player who doesn't match up with them perfectly stylistically, they should not become a liability in a certain phase of the game. And I think with Travis Sandheim, that's sort of my understanding of him as a player is he's really gotten a lot better at denying entries. He's great at stepping up in the rush and making decisions when it comes to joining play in the offensive zone, but in terms of defensive zone play, he gets outworked, outmuscled, and he's not the best positionally. So you need a certain type of player to play with him. Travis Konechny. There have been spurts where he's propelled the line, but he's not a guy who's consistently been the dude on a line and been successful doing that. He needs to be paired with a certain type of player. Uh, Ivan Provorov. We have hard evidence now over a long stretch of seasons that he's a dude where he's only going to be successful if he's paired with somebody who's better than him or at the very least is really good and capable these are not the types of players that you should be getting out of a long-term rebuild when you look at nhl teams that have had success specifically in the postseason the way that they're built is they have a drafted core of three to four guys who can truly elevate the games of people around them And then from there, you supplement with trades, free agents, and you need to replenish the bottom of your roster when those guys who are your core pieces sort of elevate into the top of the lineup with cheap uh, entry-level contracts from some of those guys that you've drafted in the bottom six. I think the Flyers have done a good job of that. The problem is they're missing the top of the lineup, people. And that comes from the fact that they never drafted at the top of the draft. Some of it is luck. Some of it is all bullshit.
0: Well, they did draft at to the top of draft once. Ivan Provorov, but like no, Nolan yeah. no.
1: Patrick. No. But they got horribly <laughs> unlucky, right? And they didn't get multiple yeah. cracks at that. Some of it is rolls of the dice. But I think the theory that I kind of come out of this with is: look at Detroit. That was an awful situation, right? It was coming out of the awful situation. It's it when Steve Yzerman walked in there, it wasn't nearly as bad as it was initially under Ken Holland. They were working their way out of that, but still a terrible place devoid of talent they didn't have that many positive assets outside of like Dylan Larkin and Tyler Bertuzzi maybe Anthony Anthony Mantha but like they have turned it around within three to four years and some of that is because Steve Heiserman is a fucking genius and I don't think we can expect that out of every GM but some of it too is that a rebuild should not need to take that long to see results and that's what I've drawn out of the Hextall era is you look at successful rebuilds around the league and you should not be looking like the New Jersey Devils where you're six, seven years in and you're drafting talent and the talent isn't elevating the results significantly outside of maybe small spurts. The, and, and the Devils are an example of what could go wrong if you tear this whole thing down, which is you get the high end talent, but it doesn't necessarily fix the issues. You still have organizational problems. But I think it's worth trying because, again, the teams that have won the cup in the salary cap era are the teams that have drafted those core pieces. It's the only way. The only outlier that you see is the Blues. That's it. And they still had some insane drafted talent on that roster. They were just older. But like, you have to take 10 cracks at winning a Stanley Cup in order to have a shot at winning it. And I think the way the Flyers are built and a lot of teams around the league are built is that gms have in mind if i make the team good enough to make the playoffs as a decent playoff team and the goalie gets hot and things fall the right way we can win the cup and i just don't if you look at the sample from the salary cap era see a path to that actually working because every single time something like that has happened outside of the blues the team loses in the cup
0: or they don't make it that far well i mean i think what you're doing here in a roundabout sort of way is you're just relitigating the Hextall tenure. And I mean, what, because what, like you mentioned Detroit, I mean, the reason why Detroit at its core has turned things around is because they have Lucas Raymond and Marit Sider. I mean, that's yeah. the reason they're, they're two elite players that they got in the top 10 of the draft. Now, the big reason why Detroit, I mean, Eisman's a great drafter and that was, you know, he's, stuck his neck out, and made some really great picks that are paying major dividends early. But a lot of that is because they drafted in the top 10 multiple times. The thing with the Hextall tenure is that they didn't draft in the top 10 multiple times because, like, they dropped they drafted in the top 10. They had Nolan Patrick, but that wasn't even... That was lucky. That was a lottery thing. They were originally supposed to be 13. They had Ivan Proveroff. And, Proveroff, like, yeah. if, if we if we want to relitigate... The, like, the Ivan overall pick was fine. It yeah, was fine. Yeah. It, it's, fine. It's, it's it's It is fine to get... A number two defenseman with the seventh overall pick. Is it a home run slam dunk pick? No, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean it's 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 about like your probably your average outcome with the seventh overall pick. Maybe probably. I mean my
1: expectation with the top like a first round pick is always just going to be even if it's like a high round pick. This is just a good NHL player. That's it. Yes. Yes. And anything exactly. below like, that, like you have to adjust your expectations because I think yeah. uh, Doctor T. Mr. Tolsky did a whole study on the, the possibility of getting an NHL player from the first round to the second round to the third round, and it's just
0: huge declines in probability in terms of succeeding there. If you're, like, the, the positions where they draft it, really, the positions where they draft it, aside from the Nolan Patrick pick, that is the glaring exception, and that is the glaring, like, what if in the Flyers' Ron Hextallier. But where they drafted, they pretty much got what you would expect. Yeah like even I, I know everybody screams and yells about oh what the Rube Soft pick was fucking t-. like okay but they got carter hart in that draft like like fine that, that that's draft, one of their like, better drafts yeah i'm not yeah, screaming, screaming like, about like, that like like, like but yeah. but no but my point is is that like this is more a case of critiquing the decision to not totally bottom yeah. out Mm-hmm. And than I was for I thought they could do it. Specific way. drafts and saying like, well, they didn't get enough out of the drafts. That draft. was not my like, intention. Y- yeah. Like, yeah, like, like like yeah, they they it would have been nice if they would have gotten like a Vladimir Tarasenko with the 18th overall pick or whatever. That would be But I don't expect cool. that. It's not something Yeah, it's not something you could reasonably expect. Whereas if you get four straight top ten picks. Yeah, you Two can reasonably expect that good. one of those guys at least is going to be a true top of the lineup impact guy. And that's what the Flyers didn't they do. They lack it. that because yeah. they because they they want it to stay This is where I think some of the there, there's there's a bit of a misconception here because a lot of people look at it and they say the reason why Ron why the reason why Ron Hextall's tenure failed is because Comcast wouldn't let him bottom no. out. No.
2: <laughs> that, That's not true. That, yeah. that
0: really isn't true. It's the not true. The reason why yeah. the Flyers didn't bottom out is because Ron Hextall said that he didn't have to. And not only that, Ron Hextall's belief, and you can disagree with it all you want, Ron Hextall's belief was that if you bottom out, you risk completely destroying the culture of a team and turning it into a culture where losing is expected and, and, in, has in, and in fairness that is a risk that is what happened in buffalo yeah. I, that is absolutely what happened in buffalo but you also have situations where what happened in detroit where they did bottom out they were bad for a while and now it looks like they're coming out of it with a ton of talent so you can make it work you can It's just that Ron Hextall believed that that wasn't the way to do a rebuild, and he might have been wrong. But, like, I don't— It it does annoy me when people relitigate all the Ron Hextall drafts and are like, no, he was a bad draft. It's like, it's not really that he was a bad draft. It was that he was probably an average drafter— who didn't have the draft positions yeah. to get elite players. And if you're gonna pin something on him, pin that on him. I think him. he was pin the on him that he was drafted. never a that, the, he, that he was not willing to fully commit to a bottom out rebuild. That was the strategic decision that didn't go his way. Yeah, And he didn't get a, bailed out by getting lucky and nailing on a twentieth overall pick that turned out to be a star.
3: Yeah, like that's, Yeah, it's not so much about the draft results as it is the organizational direction. Exactly. And that's where and that's where people are now. And I don't blame them for just being like it. I, I, and I'm one of the people. I thought Hextall's thing would work. I thought the idea of you know what, I I don't want to be one of these teams that just becomes a loser and then all these young guys come up together with no leadership. I think it makes sense to have a G and a Jake and even a Simmons or whoever they kept uh, from that era around on the other side of this thing to like see the kids through it so that it's not just lose, lose, lose and you never learn anything because there's no one who's ever been anywhere on the team to help you. I thought it would work. It did not. And so now I think a lot of people are looking at it going, well, shit, it sucks, but now we have to do it the other way because this way didn't work.
0: Yeah, it's just... And, 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 and yeah, and that's, I guess, the, the point I'll make is that that's very possible, but let's see how these next three months play out before we say with certainty that has to happen because we can't do anything about it in the, in the here and now anyway, so you might as well play the wait-and-see game because even if you are convinced that the blow-up has to happen, it's not going to happen in December. So... No. Let's also, not like let let like I just think this is a premature conversation and I get yes. why we're having it because we have to talk about shit but like even if you want to blow it up you can't do it yet so let's just wait and see what happens. And we Can, we were talking you, about th- sorry go ahead. No, go ahead, Kelly.
2: I was just going to I mean we we talked about this before the show like I I might be alone in this but I don't think that this roster is completely irredeemable. It's, I don't
0: think yeah, okay. I think stranger things have happened, and I'm not going to rule out the possibility until the the all of the evidence tells right. me that it's not going to happen. Now, that in three months, all of the evidence might tell me that it's not going oh, to happen. Absolutely. And my point is, like, I have no problem waiting because, like, there's no point in not. that. Yeah. That's my underlying point. I can see
1: improvement happening up front, easily, because there are just forwards who we know are better than this who are not performing. But, yeah defensively this team is a shit show
0: and that's where kind of but I how look much does ryan
2: it. ellis fix that though yeah, yeah it but will like, be
0: interesting to see how the defense
2: It should
1: not
0: it, should, it will be interesting
1: a, a legitimately good team should not be a player like no i agree removed from being like ryan ellis should not make you a good defense and then when ryan ellis isn't there you are a bottom five defensive unit in the league or something along well those
0: tr- lines. well true but i mean you could make a case that that's a combination of the lack of ryan ellis and the fact that the coaching staff completely lost oh yeah it hurts too yeah obviously <laughs> but like i don't know it's just i i i totally
1: agree so I, the, the i Hexel don't thing, disagree uh like i was not attacking his drafting ability i think he did a good job with the pixie hat but he had to be fucking perfect the way he wanted to go about rebuilding that team. yeah oh absolutely and that's absolutely that's why i'm like i know that's early and i know that we're not going to see any actual tangible decisions on this front made in a while but it is worth having this conversation before this team you know turns it around all of a sudden under mike yo And makes a run to the wild card and all of a sudden we're talking about again maybe they figured it out maybe they figured it out because we've had this conversation before as fans right and we've had this conversation covering the team before like this has happened at some point you do need to wonder whether or not there's an actual path for a roster built the way that Hextall built it to winning the Stanley Cup because again everything needs to break right you need players to stay healthy you need the draft picks to work out fucking perfectly based upon the positions you're in versus if you take multiple cracks in the top 10 your chances of landing somebody who is legitimately transformative are just exponentially better and i think that's what we need to talk about maybe
2: i don't disagree that a good roster does not subtract one defenseman and then completely fall apart don't disagree with that at all I don't know that putting Ryan Ellis back in is going to make it that much better because we've seen like one game with the entire roster healthy. That said, like, and this is a very stupid hypothetical that I acknowledge is probably not the case, but let's say that you reinsert Ryan Ellis into this lineup and all of a sudden everything does work. All of a sudden now they're like one of the best defensive teams in the league for some reason, like whatever. And then you take Ellis out and it all falls apart. If that's like the reality of it, then okay, with Ryan Ellis, the Flyers have an outstanding defense. Without him, they don't. Like, I'm not saying that that's definitely the case, but I'm saying that we haven't seen this team together, and I would like to, before we just decide that it's a shitty roster that needs to be completely disassembled. I I just don't know that it, it is.
3: I would love to see the team as a whole, absolutely, but I still think, like there are opportunities. Can you blow it up now? No. And it's stupid to even try because prices go up around deadlines. Like, that's what happens. But I, I think there are opportunities to, like, change out some things that just aren't working and really won't make a difference either way. Like, I, I would just like to see some of these pending veteran free agents. Uh, I The... Those three words completely out of order, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The veteran the pending idea. free agents. Um if you move on from some of them and insert some younger guys, I'm not yeah. saying like what we always said under Hackstall, like just play the kids. That's not what I'm saying. I just think it there's no difference to me. Like if it's fucking Zamula or York or Yandel. They probably will all bring the same yeah, very yeah, little Yandle's to this line.
0: Yandel's been bad. I mean, got P.S. off to a very Yandel got off to a good start and that was cool. And since then he has looked horrible.
3: Very
2: bad. Not like, great.
3: And a lot of this like you can only make these moves when the organization as a whole gets a little healthier. But like again, if Derek Broussard gets traded yeah. and the walls come crumbling down, that means this team was never any good to begin with.
2: I'm not advocating... Well, I mean, he's f- not
3: even playing, so...
2: Yeah, I'm not I, I saying mean, that I'm Fletcher should... Look, look what happened,
1: Charlie. Look
3: what happened.
2: I'm not saying that there shouldn't be moves made. That's kind of my point. My point is that there, there should be moves made to improve this roster that don't necessarily rise to the level of blowing the entire thing up. I think that they probably could improve the roster strategically the way that they did over the summertime and get a better result. I don't know if we're at the point that it needs to be completely blown up. That's just I guess, my, I, my point.
0: I guess. I guess the real philosophical question, though, is that if you keep doing that, like, are you re- are you just that's fair? Are, are you just doing things to do them, knowing on some level that like it's not going to fix the true underlying problem? And look, my thing is that like I'm still in a wait and see approach because like what else can you do? Like let's wait and see. Let's see. Let's, let's let's see the new data. Let's see what what comes out of it. Right, but let's... but but I mean, it very well could be that like in three months when we're in March and trade deadline trade rumors are popping up that like the Flyers are bottom 10 in the league, don't have a shot at the playoffs, and then, you know, you really have to... Yeah, yeah, well, it's not even you should be selling, but you should be preparing for an offseason where it's not like, well, if we just get one more second pair defenseman, or, God, if we get that great second-line winger who drives play, things will be better. Like, no, they're... If the Flyers are in that position in March, there are much deeper questions about the direction of this franchise that are going to need to be asked in anticipation for an offseason that looks to... Pivot the direction of the franchise as a whole.
3: Yeah, like, you know what the real travesty of all this is? What's that? We're not gonna get Johnny. Yeah,
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> the fucking flames. Oh. Have to the be dream is dead. For like forever, the dream have decided to come
3: out of their cave
1: and be good again this year.
0: So they've but, ruined, but you know any what? Shot. You know what the funny thing about the Calgary thing is? And this is this is the They're one thing to the Flyers. Well, okay, well, kind of, but in in a in a way that I'm taking in a slightly different direction here. Calgary is not any different, really, aside from Blake Coleman, than they were last year. Aside from the fact that they have a really good coach now, they're getting goaltending. And like, but like, a lot of that I think is coaching because the coaches build a system that protects the goaltenders better. Yeah. Like, so like, there is there is an element of looking at Calgary and being like, well, shit. If you get a coach who, literally, for his entire career, has coached teams that drive play at a fifty-five percent rate, maybe a team that is underachieved for a long time actually can be a lot better than you think it is.
3: Yeah, like you look at Markstrom's numbers and they're awesome. They're getting great goaltending from him, and then you look at like Daniel Vladar, and his numbers are excellent as well. Also, very good. Yeah, there might be a reason
0: beyond. Like, it's like the, the Kings goalie Kings. is great from twenty twelve yeah.
1: and twenty fourteen. Yeah. Where you know, coach that way or something.
2: So speaking of having Yeah, it's a almost good coach, like Daryl
0: Sutter's really good at his job.
2: Just for funsies, um, Paul Bissonnette just tweeted like a few minutes ago that um, he has heard that if the Islanders lose tonight, Trotz is out and behind the Flyers bench by Friday.
0: I mean, that oh would be utterly insane. That would be crazy. I would be so stoked. I, I mean,
2: that stoked. would just— But the thing is—
0: that would just be, be the I'd dumbest thing for the Islanders to do. Like, it's why Lou, would they do baby. that? <laughs> Lou
2: fucking sucks, Lou Charlie. Fine, that's Cole why.
1: Julian, When they were a two seed going to the playoffs with like almost 50 wins. So it he's would not be the most bonkers asshole. thing yeah. he's done. <laughs> And he's getting like, he's so,
0: it, It's It's so obvious that Barry Trotz is not the Islanders' problem. The Islanders' yeah. problem is that they played the first 17 month of the season on the road, games. and then they got COVID. Don't tell Mr. do like, like, that, man. Don't let him know. <laughs> yeah, quiet know down,
1: Chuck. Yeah, Jesus Charlie, Christ. Shut up. Yes,
0: oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm actually, Lou, actually, Barry Trotz has lost the locker room and needs Sucks. to go he's, he's yesterday.
1: actually bad coach. Stinks. Thank you, Charlie. Yeah, yeah right he's
0: the him. worst coach in hockey. Charlie. Completely lost it. Get him out, and and the Flyers can hire him tomorrow. I do have to he's mention probably the best coach in hockey.
3: I do have to mention because I've been saying it all week. I want John Tortorella. Because I want him to yell at you one time. I think that would be oh, a tremendous sure Oh, I, I, I think that would be a tremendous feather in your cap. It would really just put you to the next level. It would be uh great uh for the show. We'd have the guy that John Tortorella hates. Uh, I, I just really think
0: No, so, so the thing I will say about John Tortorella is this like I know he has that reputation of like he blows up a media, and he does like once or twice a year, he just yeah. does it, and I think a lot of it is like it's shtick and it's meant to to send a message to his team more yes. than anything else. Yes. But the thing with John Tortorella in the media, everyone I've talked to they all love that, is co- that has covered John Tortorella, mm-hmm. that is smart, that is not a moron, like and just doesn't know hockey, thinks he's great. Like, Allison yeah. Lucan thinks he's great. And she's had nothing but positive experiences covering John Tortorella. And it's like, look, I'm not going to like toot my own horn, but I think I'm a pretty smart hockey analyst. And I think I'd get along with John Tortorella. I'm sure. I'm sure once in a while he might get mad at me. But like that comes with the territory of being a hockey journalist. I think we'd probably have a pretty good relationship. I'm sure. Uh, I
3: also more than anything, that would just be funny to me. But more than anything It's because I'm mad At the players And I want to punish them With <laughs> the guy Who will yell at them Can I like, just I say wanna, Like
2: this nonsense I want like, dad I
3: want dad To like backhand them I that's was what gonna I say to Like build.
2: everyone Whose dad didn't hug them When they were a child Wants John Tortorella To be the coach <laughs> Because they want the flyers To be yelled at All the time Because yes. that's how you That's how you achieve Positive results Well, they just I think to torts lives. would be
1: A good fit if they want To turn it around This year Right And they're like If we want a shot in the arm And we want the guy The only thing would be maybe He'd be a little bit of the same message because it's like we just came off of a coaching staff that was really hard on the players and he didn't respond well to that. So maybe we should not take a guy who's kind of notorious for that. But like Torts' philosophy is, I want to make the players all hate me so that they work together to prove me wrong. That's his mentality. That's why he acted like a dick in the past. And he's mellowed out. I think he understands how to balance that a little bit better because he lasted six years in Columbus. And this is a dude who's gotten a ton out of some shitty rosters. So, like, just, he, could, he could get it done, I think. It's just you kind of have to question, is that really what we want right now? Or should this team be evaluating whether or not this is the way to proceed heading into the future?
2: Just so no one yells at me for being wrong, it was actually Ryan Whitney, not Paul Bissett. Close enough. Whatever. They're the well, same, same person. person. Yeah. <laughs> Man, like, Trotz is
3: interesting, and he's a hell of a coach. He's the best coach in the NHL. He's the best yeah. coach in the NHL. I would, I would be like, he got fucking can, would, like seventy points out Would this roster, of would this roster buy Kuhner, in, man? That would crazy. this roster buy into that?
2: I don't see why not. He's he, okay. The Islanders roster sure did. Like how,
1: how can you look at the body of work that Barry Trotz has had as a head coach and go, as a player, I don't believe what this guy is putting down. Again. I watched his entire tenure in Nashville, where he had like fucking nothing in terms of talent, on the front end at least, and got like 70 something points out of JP Dumont and Martin Erat. And turned Steve Sullivan in the twilight of his career into a point per game player. This is a dude who has gotten something out of nothing everywhere he's been. He's the best I mean, coach it, it- in the NHL. I,
2: it doesn't really matter. If Barry Trotz, for some reason, gets fired during the time him. at which the Flyers have an interim head coach and Chuck Fletcher doesn't immediately hire him, then Chuck Fletcher should be fired the next day. The, question like, I the second that Barry here Yeah,
0: I, I mean, literally, the only explanation as to why, like, if Barry Trotz were to get fired and not be hired the next day of the Flyers is if Barry Trotz change. does not want to coach here. the Philadelphia right. Flyers yeah. because there is no reason... Like, there are, there are probably, like... 20 teams in the NHL where if Barry Trotz were fired they should fire their head coach that to day him, right? solely to not hire even, Barry Trotz not even an interim not even an interim like, no, if like their you just have some here. random yes, coach just you should fi- get rid just of fire him. Yeah. like and, and and it probably would be more Because Trotz is better than pretty much all the coaches in hockey. But it's just like, there are some teams where, like, that coach is working for that team. So, like, I don't think it makes sense to rock the boat. But, like, there's a lot of teams that are just puttering along with a mediocre head coach. And it's like, hey, if, 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 if you're holding, like... Like, who the hell is even coaching the Arizona Coyotes at this point? Not that Trotz would go there, but like, there's a lot of coaches that are just dudes, and it's like, if you have one of those just dudes and Barry Trotz hits the market, no, it's, fire that just it's dude and hire Barry like, Trotz. Like, it's basically like Carolina,
3: Vancouver, because they just hired Boudreaux, and like Calgary. Like, Every yeah, like other ben, team ben, should hired Barry Colorado.
0: like yeah. there, there are coaches where like, do I think Barry Trotz is a better coach than Jared Bednar? Yeah, probably, but I think Jared Bednar's a very good coach and, honestly, and clearly works with that team, so don't, don't do that. Looking at the way that team defends maybe they should
3: (laughs) (laughs) they just gave up five goals to the flyers they might want to think about playing a little bit of defense (laughs) like
2: here's the thing i mean people want to pretend that that comcast is like i don't know penny pinching with this hockey team but the fact of the matter is they have a giant purse behind this hockey team and they just fired a guy that they're going to pay five million dollars a year. oh no no, no no no
3: kelly you can't bring a giant purse into the Wells Fargo Center anymore. Oh, that's I, le- true. I learned this last night. <laughs> or what a tiny, tiny fucking What a, tiny a fucking fasadi. sham it's this so rule is. It's oh so yeah, stupid. there's lockers over there. You can rent for fifteen dollars though. $15. Like that's not the Like that's so, not so the
1: really? in- <laughs> goddamn
0: scam in the world. So in in fairness with regards to that rule, I agree it's really dumb. I will say that every single concert venue I've went to since the start of the pandemic, which does not include the Wells Fargo Center, has the same dumbass rule. Oh, every I venue I, does. It,
2: it's still stupid. I,
0: I, I don't know why it like became a thing over the last year and a half, but it did, and it's just a thing now.
3: So they can make more money from you. That's all it is. Probably. 20, that's $22, that's $22 fabulous,
2: to, park,
0: to park, $15 to park your purse. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's the part that's the real, the real kick in the balls, is that not only can you not bring your stuff in— but we're not even gonna like charge a dollar for the lockers for you yeah. to put your stuff in. We're yeah, that, charge that is $15. bullshit. Fifteen dollars. We're gonna make yeah. a revenue a stream out of the fucking lockers outside of the arena. Like that's the part that's just all right. All right,
3: we've moved right. on. We've we've moved into the absurd here. So let's let's wrap that's it up. Uh, do we have anything else? Is that it? Are we done? I think that's I pretty
0: guess. much it. All right. I think we talked about this a lot. This was fun. We
3: I don't even know what we
0: talked I about. I mean, we time. spent the first 25 minutes relitigating Kludge <laughs> as captain, <laughs> I so think it was, only it was 18, one of those days.
3: I think it was only 18 minutes.
0: Oh, right. sorry. My <laughs> so, bad. I overshot it by seven.
2: <laughs> so
3: that is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, what the fuck's the matter with you? Hit the subscribe button. I say it every week. Just do it. Just do it. Hit subscribe. Boom. Problem solved. All the content you'll ever need. Just search Broad Street Hockey, uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Content, content, content. This is like the third show I've done in the last 24 hours. There have been others as well. So, what are you waiting for? Do that. All right. My name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Charlie, for Eamon. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!